Chapter Nineteen of the Ghost Girl by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen What We Saw in the Cave. Outside the hotel, we met a leather clad man who looked something like a chauffeur. He touched his flat cap to Richards. I hope you got the man who stole the automobile, Lieutenant he said geoffrey laughed surely he got him he said did you ever know the lieutenant to fail back to the boat kelly said richards we've got another job tonight up the river again he's the runner of the police boat the lieutenant explained to me as we went pelting down a steep cobble-paved street in pursuit of geoffrey and the engineer we ran and stumbled and slipped along in the dark for a while without a word. But presently Richards spoke to me. "'Do you know how he knew I had a motorboat?' he asked. "'Why,' I panted, "'he knew that Barton was at Beech Hill, and that you were watching Barton. We'd run off with the automobile, and I suppose he figured that the only way you could have got back so soon would be in a motorboat.' We hadn't been back very long when you turned up, and we must have got a pretty good start of you. It isn't his running off with a car that makes me sore, confided Richards, though I'll admit I was mad enough when my shore party came down to the river and told me the man I was looking for had gotten away and taken our automobile with him. The thing that gets my goat is that Jeffrey should have hung out a bluff that I was all wrong in suspecting Barton, and that the real game was somewhere else altogether, and all the while he was tracking Barton himself, on his own hook, just to carry him off under my nose. If he'd said, I want Barton too, I'll take my way to find him and you take yours. That would have been on the level. But, I exclaimed, Jeffrey wasn't. And then I stopped short. It had been on the tip of my tongue, to tell him that our getting hold of Barton was the purest accident, and that Geoffrey had been perfectly sincere in saying he was after other game. But the reflection that I was talking to a lieutenant of the police, and that a full account of what we were doing would have involved a confession that we had committed a crime ourselves that night, checked me up rather sharply. I had followed Geoffrey's advice a little too well, in forgetting that I was a housebreaker. Luckily the darkness and the unevenness of the pavement gave me a plausible excuse for choking off my narrative. Another minute and we were down on the boat landing. In the dim glimmer of the boat's lights I could see that Geoffrey and Kelly, the engineer, had already got aboard and cast off. Geoffrey was holding on to the landing with a boat hook and adjuring us to hurry. Richards and I stumbled in astern. Geoffrey seated himself in the bow beside Kelly, and with a rush and a roar, we were off. The boat was a long, narrow, business-like looking craft, her four cylinders under the hood up forward, and her fine tapering lines and her torpedo stern evidently built for speed. It was brighter on the river than it had been in the narrow streets of the town, 
for the dawn was already paling to grey through the clouds over in the east and the surface of the river reflected the colour still more coldly the banks were perfectly black and forbidding we were all warmly clad and we needed the warmth badly in spite of our great coats the chill struck home to all of us perhaps it wasn't only the cold that made us shiver and set our teeth to chattering i couldn't get barton's story out of my head why his story of the apparition he had seen there when he was rummaging amid crow's papers had made so little apparent impression on geoffrey i didn't know i think i am about the last man to believe in ghosts myself but this was the second ghost story i had heard myself in connection with this affair the other you remember was the apparition that had appeared to geoffrey on the bridge in paris and both of them had a terrifying sound of reality to them to get away from that morbid train of thought i forced my mind to attempt a solution to geoffrey's latest enigma what was the enormous significance that he saw in the dimensions of that photographic plate crow had said i remembered that claire had her photograph taken in paris by a french photographer evidently that wasn't true or it wouldn't have been taken on an american plate an american photographer might use a french plate well enough but the other way about never but what did it mean not necessarily that crow had lied he might conceivably have been misinformed puzzle as i might i couldn't get any clue to that wide-eyed look incredulous yet certain that i had seen in geoffrey's face nor to the urgency of the haste with which he had started us back to beech hill the urgency wasn't abated either geoffrey was standing beside the wheel peering out ahead through the thinning dark every line of his tense body a mute appeal to the engineer to drive the boat for all she was worth we were doing pretty well too as the big wave that curled and broke around our bows attested she had a bone in her teeth as the sailors say that trip the beech hill estate as i have said is a peninsula with a blunt broad head and a very narrow neck the general direction of the river is of course southward just above beech hill it narrows between high precipitous banks but below while the east bank holds high and rigid with a rampart of undulating hills the west bank falls away into a hollow the river meets the situation by branching one branch curving around north and even northeast and shading off into a marsh then circling widely southwest and southeast until it joins the main stream again so the large area southwest from beech hill would be a lake if it were not that a low hill rising in the middle of it made an island it was this island and the marsh that forced the road north from oldborough into a wide detour westward that made the river route as geoffrey had pointed out much the shortest and if one commanded a high-power motorboat much the quickest way of getting from oldborough to beech hill 
already the river was widening and presently we made our way through the dark the blunt end of the island hog island i think is the local name of it projecting out into the middle of it Geoffrey came aft and joined richards and me of course the nearest way he said is to the right up the main channel if time weren't such a factor i'd take the other the house commands a pretty good view of this channel and what with the daylight and the noise we're making he'll have warning that we're coming a good while before we get there who'll have warning said richards crow said geoffrey crow richards exclaimed i thought you wanted to warn crow geoffrey didn't answer that question you saw crow yourself he asked sure said richards what was he doing just what any man would be doing whose house had just been broken into by a burglar he'd got up and dressed and was out looking for him with a gun i met him when i came ashore after i heard the shot fired he didn't seem particularly glad to see me but he acted sore enough when my other men came up and said that the fellow we were after had evidently got away and taken our automobile with him he wasn't very keen on the capture it seems to me said geoffrey he didn't offer you his own car to go back to oldborough in did he you might have caught him with that that little tin pot you rented at the garage couldn't go very fast he probably didn't have any automobile there said richards oh yes he had said geoffrey he certainly had the one he came out from town in last night probably never thought of it said richards no said geoffrey i believe that's true he'd have offered it if he thought of it by the way didn't you offer to leave him one or two of your men to guard the place you couldn't be sure of course that the marauder had got away yes i did said richards but he thought it wouldn't be necessary he said he'd go down and lock the park gates lock the park gates said geoffrey i don't like that that's something i hadn't thought of it's certainly the natural thing to do said richards well he said he and the caretaker would be enough to protect the place and he wouldn't need our help he said to let him know if we got barton did you see the caretaker geoffrey asked richard shook his head come to think of it i didn't it's queer said geoffrey that the noise and the confusion and the shooting didn't rouse him too oh i don't know said richards some people sleep like the dead but it's queer that crow didn't arouse him himself just then kelly called back to us from the wheel there's something wrong with the dope he said we're missing fire right along i hadn't noticed it before but it was obviously true the river was still rushing by fast enough but the current was doing most of that when i sighted a tree on the bank for a landmark i saw that we weren't much more than keeping abreast of it take the wheel a minute said kelly geoffrey was at his side in a minute and began steering the boat out to the left where the current wasn't so swift kelly came aft and opened up the gasoline tank then his face went blank the tank was almost empty i knew we had to fill up again at old borough he said contritely 
but i forgot it can't you possibly nurse her along to beach hill landing jeffrey asked kelly shook his head there isn't another half mile in her he said jeffrey threw the wheel over a little farther and we moved still further out to the left we were headed straight for the island now turn around and go back said richards the current will take us back to oldborough all right put drew and me ashore here on the island first i've got a revolver but drew hasn't give him yours then go back to oldborough as best you can and fill up with gasoline when you've got it come back at pelting richards hesitated but jeffrey was still at the wheel and heading straight for the marshy bank of the island i haven't time to explain he said i can only give you my word that i'm asking you to do what you would do in a minute if you knew the facts but whether you come back or not drew and i get off here all right said richards i'll come back and he handed me his revolver he had hardly said it when our boat pushed softly into the mud and stopped there was still an uninviting-looking stretch of mud and water between us and the hard bank overboard drew said jeffrey and suiting the action to the word he vaulted over the side and started wading in the icy water towards shore i wasn't but a few seconds behind him but i heeded richard's cry and stopped long enough to push the boat out of the mud then i splashed ashore after geoffrey in june when everything is in full leaf i suppose hog island may be an attractive spot in spite of its name any place is beautiful in such conditions but on that cold march morning bleak wet the branches on its stunted trees and undergrowth rattling in the rising wind the dark of its shadows betraying us after the brightness of the river had given a promise of day so that we stumbled in our breathless haste over fallen logs and blundered into mud-holes it was about the most dismal place i had ever found myself in geoffrey set the pace and it needed about all my energy to keep up with him if i'm aimed right he said as i came panting alongside we'll come out just opposite the boathouse how are we going to get across i asked swim i suppose said geoffrey i wish there were a quicker way personally i wished there might be a more comfortable way my one plunge thigh-deep in the icy water had given me small relish for the prospect of swimming in it but it gave me more than anything that had gone before a realization of how seriously geoffrey meant that our getting to beech hill in time was a matter of life and death geoffrey didn't like to swim any better than a cat it was one of the few athletic sports at which i excelled him matters were urgent indeed when he talked of swimming for the present though we had to climb a long irregular hogback divides the island along its major axis a fact which was probably accountable for its name we were scrambling up now clutching at bushes when the treacherous clay underfoot slipped away beneath us here and there a half-embedded rock added to our discomfort we're nearly up 
commented Geoffrey presently, and we may see something from the top. Anyhow, we'll find out if our direction's right. On hands and knees, we gained the crest of the ridge, and there paused a moment, not for breath, badly as we needed it, but to give Geoffrey a chance to squint through the trees and try to discover if we were headed in the right direction. Neither of us spoke, and now that there was no crackling of branches or rustling of soggy leaves underfoot, the silence settled down almost oppressively. Suddenly I saw Geoffrey's body grow tense. "'Hold your breath a second, Drew,' he said. "'I want to listen.' For perhaps five seconds, neither of us breathed. I was listening, too, with all my ears, but I heard nothing. Presently Geoffrey gave a little nod, and we started on again, not straight down the hill now, but at an angle. It was easier to keep up with him now. For some reason he wasn't setting quite so fast a pace. Suddenly I stopped dead in my tracks. He looked around at me curiously. "'It's nothing,' I whispered. "'I'm beginning to see things, that's all. I hate this half-light.' I thought I saw something moving among the trees. Geoffrey peered in the direction of my nod. Perhaps you did, he said. One of the island's namesakes, perhaps, rooting around for acorns. It didn't look like that, I said. It didn't look like anything it could be, Geoffrey, I said. Come along, then, he said. Neither of us had been paying attention to what was right under our feet, and the result was that we both lost our footing on the slippery declivity of the hill and went down with a rush, trying to keep from falling. But presently I crashed through a dead limb, stumbled over a cobblestone, and went down in a heap, with Geoffrey little better off beside me. Each of us started to say something at the same instant, but before we could speak, there came a sudden sound that froze us into silence, that arrested us, half on foot and half on the ground, as suddenly as if we had been turned to stone. What we heard was a terrified, wailing cry in a woman's voice. It didn't seem far away seemed right at hand, in fact, and yet it came from all around, came, if anywhere, from right behind us. For a while, a space of time that could have been measured in seconds, we stared at each other, each wondering if, by any human possibility, the other could have heard what he did. Then Geoffrey bent forward a little in the preliminary effort to get to his feet but instead of rising he reached out suddenly and caught my arm and pointed with it there in the wet clay right at our feet was the single print of a woman's shoe it was pointed toward us geoffrey straightened up and turned around and i followed him look he said a big rock was bedded in the hillside we had just come tumbling down. It projected out in a great ledge, and underneath it, shrinking back into the dark of the little cave it formed, I saw—well, 
irene fournier's face the face i had seen glowing with colour on jeffrey's canvas the face i had seen dozens of times in crude newspaper half-tones as they had photographed her in the morgue the face of the girl in the ice it was as white now as it must have been then with a kind of dreadful bluish pallor and the golden hair as it went back into the shadows was wildly dishevelled and dripping wet but the eyes shone there out of the dark luminous like those of a hunted animal that was the face barton had seen last night i should have fled as barton did if the paralysis of nightmare hadn't held me still i'd have cried out with horror of the thing but my throat was numb for the girl was dead dead and yet we saw her there it was from those blue lips that that wailing cry had come with an effort i got my eyes away from her and looked at geoffrey he looked a little limp and he was very pale but what he said was thank god we're in time i was afraid we'd be too late he didn't say it to me but to that dreadful apparition in the cave you're quite safe now he added and then he moved gently toward her end of chapter nineteen